invite you to stand as we hear the reading of God's Word, taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Would you read with me? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thank you. You may be seated. By now, I know that uh, you have heard over and over about Colin Kaepernick and uh, his decision related to not standing for the playing of the national anthem at football games or putting his hand over his heart in rising of the flag. Now, uh, that has uh, his action has caused quite a stir and actually has resulted in a trend of some sorts, uh, others following suit. Now, trust me, my purpose this morning is not to weigh in on all of that. I've already done that previously, and uh, hopefully you know what I think about that. In case you don't, I'm against what he's doing. But anyway, that's not my purpose this morning. What's important for, for us to note is that his actions and others have brought to the forefront a reminder to us of the power and the importance of symbols. Symbols exist to evoke feelings within us. They evoke passion. They uh, stir something with us and call for some type of response. They have that power over us. We're not meant to be neutral or numb about symbols. They do something to us and in us. Take the, take the flag, for example, the current, the current controversy. That symbol seeks to evoke something in us, and the appropriate response is a feeling of patriotism that prompts us to stand. Colin and others are currently experiencing a different stirring in their heart, a different response that is causing them to do something else. But the point is this. That symbol evokes response of some fashion or another. That's what symbols do. Take, for example, the Confederate flag. If I were to have brought a Confederate flag in here and unrolled it, that image, that symbol would evoke a response. For some people, it would stir feelings of Southern pride and would cause them to want to stand up and sing Dixie. Others, that symbol would stir within them feelings of rage and disgust because that symbol evokes feelings of racism and injustice and a past not to be proud of. That's what symbols do. What if I was to come in here and unveil a banner, and on that banner was uh, a big red swastika? 
that image, that symbol would evoke response. It would stir something with probably everybody in this room and most likely what it would instill would be disgust and disappointment that I would even desecrate the sanctuary by bringing such a symbol in here. Symbols evoke response. We as Christians have a symbol. It's the cross. And like all symbols, this symbol, this image, is meant to stir something in us, to do something in us, to call forth from us some response. And yet my concern is that as a symbol, This symbol's capacity to evoke, to stir something within us is being diminished. A lot of us, we look at this symbol and we don't really think that much about what happened there. Maybe because we are so accustomed to seeing this in the routine of our daily lives, a lot of us, we look at this and we don't really feel much of anything that we're aware of. See, for a lot of us, this symbol has become so commonplace that we see it as something that is sold in some of our local stores along with other home accessories, and we find crosses uh, along with lamps and picture, picture frames to be accessories to decorate our house. Most all of us probably have one of these made of gold or silver or maybe even diamonds that we wear around our neck, but it has probably been a long, long time, if ever, that when we put that on our neck, our hearts broke and tears came to our eyes because we gave a glancing thought even to what its message is. Years ago, Paul wrote, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Today he might write, the message of the cross is pretty much forgotten by a lot of people, even Christians. And I would suggest to you that far more tragic than an NFL football player sitting for the national anthem are Christians who look at this symbol. They've lost the capacity to feel much of anything. Paul says the the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved. In other words, those of us whose lives are given to Jesus Christ. Those of us who are seeking God's will for our lives. Those of us who are seeking a growing, deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. This symbol is the power of God. And it is meant to do something in us. It is meant to say something to us. It is meant to evoke a response from us. 
And what a tragic thing it would be if this symbol becomes for us so commonplace that we fail to reflect on its message when we look upon it. Symbols are meant to evoke something in us. So, with this symbol, let me suggest this morning what I hope that every one of us as believers can recapture if we've lost. This symbol of the cross is meant, I would suggest to you, first of all, to stir within us an awareness of the love of God. Just how much God as the Father, the Creator of the world, loves you and loves me. God's Word says, God's demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love has no man than this, that He laid down His life for His friends. The cross is a reminder to us that is precisely what God has done. Every time we gaze upon it, we ought to reflect and be stirred by the fact that this is an amazing love that God must have for us. Sometimes I like to imagine a conversation between God the Father in heaven and and the Son. And one day, God calls Jesus over to his side and says, Son, uh, I've got a plan. Son, for thousands of years, I've been sending prophet after prophet after prophet down there to those folks on earth, and they still don't get it. They still do not comprehend how much I desire to be in a relationship with them and and how wonderful I want their lives to be and can be if they choose to be in partnership with me. The prophets have been unable. I've got a plan. And Jesus says, okay, Dad, what is it? And God, the Father says, son, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you and you're going to become one of them. You're going to live among them. You're going to share their life and, and... You're going to instruct them on how to live their life. And you're going to tell them about us. And Jesus is loving this idea. And he says, Father, this is great. You and I going to live among them. That certainly is going to prove to them how much we love them. I'm ready to go. And so Jesus is all pumped and excited about this trip to to the earth that he's going to make. And then the Father says, "But, but son... I've got to be honest with you, there's more. You see, just you going, that's not going to be enough. And the truth of the matter is, even you becoming one of them, their reaction is going to be far different than what you might expect. In fact, son, you're going to be ridiculed, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be mocked, you're going to be rejected. And son, you're going to be nailed on a cross and you're going to die an agonizing death. And Jesus, I imagine Jesus saying, but Father, why? Isn't isn't there another way? And God says, but no, there's not. There's no way for me to convince them of the depth of how much I love them than if I give my most precious and valuable gift, and that is the life of my son. And so that's what Jesus did. He came. And he died. To prove how much he loved us. 
If the Noonan Police Department were to come barging in those back doors right now and come up on this stage, put me in handcuffs and say, Stuart, we want to know something. Do you love the people at Noonan Methodist Church? And I would say, yes, I do. They would say, all right. Would you be willing to come down to the city jail and stay there for a month to prove to those people that you love them? I'd say, you know what? I wouldn't want to do that, but yes. If that's what it took for them to know that I genuinely care about them and love them, yeah, I'll be willing to do that. But then if they said this to me, okay, we're going to take you to Jackson, Georgia. We're going to take you to the federal penitentiary there. And that's where we keep our electric chair, our means of execution. Would you be willing, will you be willing to strap yourself, to be strapped into that chair, electricity poured into your body to the point that you die? Are you going to be, would you be willing to die to prove how much you love the people at Moon and Methodist Church? There'd be a long pause. And you know what? I love y'all. I really do. But I would not do that. I would not allow myself to be executed just to prove to you that I love you. That's what God did. That's what the cross says. And then I would think, hope that you would remember this. This symbol seeks to evoke in you and you and you and me a sense of our forgiveness. That God, through this act, has forgiven us of anything or everything we will ever do. Sin, you see, when we were born, sin entered our lives. Sin separates us from God. As long as we're separated from God, we cannot live fully whole, joyful lives. And yet the the shed blood of Jesus on the cross washes our sins away, cleanses us of all our unrighteousness, and we are presented by Christ to the Father as pure and holy and without blame. Colossians 1.20 says, He reconciled all things to Himself through Him. He brought peace through the blood of His cross. Once you were alienated from God, but now He has reconciled you by His physical body through death to present you before God as holy and faultless and without blame. You may be ashamed. You may be embarrassed. You may live in guilt over something in your past or even in your present. But the reality of God's love for you, the message of this cross, is that your sins are forgiven. So why does it take blood? Why does it take a cross for forgiveness? In Jesus' day, it was commonly held practice and belief that 
The forgiveness of sin came through the spilling of blood. And when blood was poured out, somehow that prompted God to forgive. And there was no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. That's why they had the animal sacrifices. But one day Jesus decided, enough's enough. You don't have to do that. And so Jesus took the practice of sacrifice and he turned it upside down. And rather than asking people to bring a lamb to to slaughter at the altar, he became the lamb himself. He became the sacrifice. And rather than people sacrificing something to God, it is now God sacrificing himself for the sake of mankind. And through the blood of Jesus, put an end to all sacrifices from that moment on. For in Christ, we are reconciled to God. And every time we gaze at this cross, something ought to stir within our hearts that says, you know what, I don't have to be bound by my past, my sin, my shame. It's done. And then think about this. This symbol is intended to stir within us a sense of the power. The power of God. Now, that may sound crazy. That's why the world looks at this and thinks this is foolish because the world looks at this and sees the cross as a sign of failure. A sign of weakness. After all, Jesus is dead. Jesus died there. But for us, it's a symbol of victory. Colossians 2.15 And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross was kind of like the final, that with the resurrection of Easter Sunday morning, was the final in your face to the world. And God said, I have the final say. The power is mine. As Jesus was dying on the cross, among his last words were these. He said, it is finished. But I don't think he said it in that tone. I think he said it as a sign of victory. It is finished. Now notice, he didn't say, I am finished. That would have been a horrible thing. Imagine Jesus coming to the end of his life on the cross saying, I'm finished. I'm done. I'm crushed. I'm defeated. I give up. I can't do this anymore. I am done. I am through. But that's not what he said. He said, it is finished as he took his last breath. What is it? It was the plan. It is, was the, the strategy, the agenda of God all along. God's plan when he sent Jesus Christ here was that Jesus would die an agonizing death on the cross. It's the fulfillment of all of God's prophecy. And the fact that Jesus went to the cross is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of his power and his strength. When the time came for Jesus to, to lay himself upon the cross, he could have bailed, he could have run, he could have gotten out of it, but no. He was faithful to the Father's plan. He was faithful to the Father's purpose to convey love and forgiveness of the Father to you and to me. And he showed great power by his willingness to go to the cross. And then God used that same power to raise him on the third day. Now that's significant for us because the power 
that the cross speaks about is the same power that is let loose in the lives of people who follow Christ. When the message of the cross, the power of the cross penetrates our lives, we find that we have the capacity to live lives of joy and power and meaning and purpose. And when life is confused and hurting and empty and frustrating and everything else, we find power in the Christ who died for us here and who rose and is alive to fill our hearts and lives. That's a great power emanating from this cross. I like the story about the little boy who uh, lived in a little town and one day he kind of he wandered away from home and he ended up downtown a little square on the village and uh, he was lost and so the police officer came by and recognized the little boy as being lost and said, uh, son, um, we're here to, to take you home. And the little boy was crying and he was very appreciative of what the police were wanting to do. And So the officer said, uh, son, um, what's your name? Told him his name. And the officer said, well, son, uh, where do you live? Do you know your address? The little boy said, no. And the officer said, okay, um, do you know your telephone number? The little boy said, no. They weren't getting anywhere. And then the police officer said, well, son, do you know your father's name? And the little boy lit up and said, yes. And the officer said, good, what's your father's name? The little boy said, Daddy. They weren't getting anywhere. And so finally the little boy just takes over the conversation and says, Sir, there's a cross. You know the cross on the hill outside of town? If you'll take me to that cross, once I'm there, I'll be able to find my house. And you can take me home. That's the way this cross works. It gives power to us to find our way home to Him, to give meaning and direction to our lives every day. Well, and then finally this. This symbol is meant to evoke in us and call from with us a response That this is our life's purpose. This is our life's purpose. See, the cross is not just meant to move us in some sentimental way or not just in some emotional way. It is, or, but it, it, is, it is intended to move us in a practical way, in a tangible way, in a missional way. To move us out of our churches into the community to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it, it seeks to move us out of apathy and complacency into a life in which we discover life's greatest meaning and purpose and joy, and that is in loving others and serving others and sharing the love of Christ with others. You see, what do you do when you've encountered the love of God? What do you do when you've experienced the forgiveness of God? What do you do when you come to understand the power of God? You take the cross and you devote your life to spending the rest of your life 
sharing its message and helping people understand what happened there. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up, must deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. Maxie Dunham, great preacher of our church, I actually saw him just the other day at this meeting I've been attending this past week. I was reminded of, of a simple statement he made one time. He says, if you get too close to the cross, you'll end up carrying it. See, when the message of the cross penetrates our hearts, we discover that it is our life's purpose. And we come to discover that the cross is not only meant to hold us up, but we are meant to use our lives to hold it up. This cross, this actual cross, is the one that for the last two years we've used on Good Friday to carry through the streets of downtown Noonan. As we've prayed over the city and as we've sung hymns of the faith as a witness to the power of God. I've noticed something interesting that uh, we've done this for two years now and, and each time we've done this we gather outside and uh, we, strap, we map out our strategy and we're gonna, we'll make four, five, six, maybe seven stops along the way. At each stop we'll have a passage of scripture, we'll have a prayer. And then at each stop I'll say to the folks, okay, those in the back move up to the front, it's time to shift. Because what I want to do, I want to give anybody who'd like the opportunity to carry the cross. And the first time we did this, you know, I was thinking, you know, I'm probably going to have to twist people's arms. I'm probably going to have to convince somebody that they need to, to come up and literally carry the cross. But just the opposite happened. The folks that have been participating, they're like, they're like little kids in a glorious kind of way. I want to carry it. I want to carry it. And there's almost this competition to see who's going to carry the cross. And almost everybody wants to have that opportunity. Because there's just something about knowing that you're carrying the cross. It's very gratifying. Let me tell you, as as neat, as cool, and as as wonderful as that is to literally carry this cross through downtown Noonan, of even more importance and more value is to find a way every day of your life to so live your life devoted to the message of this cross that you carry its message you proclaim its truth wherever you are and whatever opportunities you have this cross every time we look at it shouts at us this is your life purpose to carry it symbols. They're designed to evoke feelings in us, to stir us, to call forth from us some type of response. May we never lose the capacity to hear and to sense how this symbol is intended to stir in us 
a sense of God's love. A reminder of the forgiveness that we find in Jesus Christ. The power that's demonstrated here. And the mission, the life's purpose that this symbol offers you and me. Years ago, there was a, I believe he was a pastor, slash songwriter, both, who was participating in a series of revival services years and years ago. And he began to reflect on this symbol. And he began to acknowledge that even in his own life, it would be very easy for this symbol to lose its capacity to stir him. And so he said, you know what? I want to so value and so respect and so look at the cross so that for the rest of my life, I cling to it. I cling to it. I desire more than anything else to devote my life to his purpose. May I never forget the power that it offers me. And so he wrote a hymn. It's in our hymn. We're going to sing it. It's the old rugged cross. It reminds us to cleave to the cross, to cling to the cross. And let it stir it.